0: Jordan is on best Harper's on
1: Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler, joined by my co-host, Tom Lewis. And as a start to become tradition, Caitlin Cooper is joining us on this Sunday. Uh, Caitlin, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing good. I, I told them before I got on here for the listeners that I'm like tired from staying up. I feel like every Saturday the Pacers are doing something that I have to stay up to write about. And then by the time I'm on here, I have to watch TJ Warren highlights just to have the energy to, to get through and and bring the proper amount of hype.
0: That's a great problem to have. I love it.
1: Yep. Yeah. It could yes, be worse. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm i so excited. It's actually, it's really funny looking back. Cause I realized Tom, I, uh, it was the first media call I was ever on. I talked to coach McMillan probably about a month and a half ago. And I asked him if he thought anybody had, uh, had made strides in individual work over the off season, if he'd seen anything in, in individual practices. And here we are. TJ Warren scoring 34 points per game in the bubble. <laughs> Safe to say somebody made some strides uh, in the uh, in the hiatus. So it's, it's been Absolutely. exciting. Obviously, we're coming off massive win yesterday. I was talking to one of my friends today. I think it's got to be top five wins of the season probably. I mean, especially when you're considering Sabonis was out. Um, that was great. I, I, just, I don't have anything too negative to say about the game yesterday.
0: Yeah, I would say it's up there just because I felt like I had seen this game play out a million times before, and eventually LeBron and AD were just going to be too much down the stretch, because the Pacers were having their normal rebounding issues, turnover issues, and lo and behold, they're able to make plays and make big shots and put them away, and and so that just just made it great, knowing that they were able to to uh, push back, you know, knowing that LeBron's going to going to be pushing for that W down the stretch, and. He didn't have enough this time.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And Actually, all right, so just to transition over to you, Caitlin, I think before we talk to T, about TJ's game, you wrote an awesome piece, partially on TJ this morning, but you talked about Aaron Holiday. and I totally agree in, with all your sentiments in your piece because Aaron played an incredible game. Again, the box score is not mm-hmm. going to paint some pretty picture or whatever, but uh, his, uh, his help defense and his off-ball awareness was a huge yesterday.
2: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) that piece in particular was just about the screening action, because I've been talking about that a little bit with how they would handle if teams started screening for Aaron's man to get those switches. And what the Pacers did is they just didn't switch it. I mean, they just refused to. Brogdon gave a little bit of a gap so that he could do a quick show, stunt, and stop LeBron's downhill momentum as best he could. And then he just recovered with high hands back to Quinn Cook and and they didn't get any scores out of that. There was one time where, where if LeBron wanted to be super aggressive, he could have turned the corner. <laughs> he squared up to shoot the three – which, you know, that just wasn't a great read by him based on what the coverage was. And and that gave Brogdon back time to recover. But they did a really good job helping over from the nail, Aaron did, and TJ Warren did, to, to slow down those drives. And, and beyond that, too, I thought Aaron was good whenever um, Anthony Davis was posting. He was typically, a lot of the time, the person who was bringing help or, or taking on some of that initial brunt if they got a switch. And, you know, Anthony just really didn't have a great game yesterday on either end of the floor. So yeah, you got to give Aaron credit. Like you said, it's not going to show up in the box score, but he did the little things. And I think he's definitely shown growth since, since, um, the restart.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's it's great. He just feels like he's not really forcing anything, which was kind of there, not to, not to sound rude, but it was kind of the Aaron holiday staple. I mean, he was just coming in and uh, I mean, I think part of it's because he didn't have consistent minutes, but I mean, he was just, uh, firing away and, uh, to varying effects, but now I mean he just really seems comfortable in his role and is is finding his way. So that's been uh, that's been awesome for him and for the Pacers down the stretch, of course. Um, so yeah, like looking at TJ though, I actually wrote on that a little bit last night and this morning. I spent last night actually. You asked me what I was doing before, Caitlin. I couldn't remember because I'm having, like three hours of sleep. But I uh, I spent all of last night watching every single three pointer that TJ Warren took during the season. Um, because obviously Synergy has tracking data and everything. So you can look at the amount of pull-ups somebody's taking, but looking at TJ, the way that he's adjusted his three-point shooting uh, has been interesting because he's kind of like he's taking pull-ups, but then uh, you mentioned it in your piece a little bit too, but he's taking these like kind of step into shots that are, it's like a pull-up, but pretty much just without the dribble. um, And that's, what's been so huge for him because he's taking so much from above the break now. And he took, a grand total of 42 of those combined over 61 games. And he's taken 19 already in the bubble. So it's been, it's been a huge, huge improvement in what he's doing. And he's actually only taken five corner threes, uh, which is just a complete changeup in, in his, uh, where he's shooting from the floor, especially, uh, uh, you know, around the arc. I haven't looked at the inside of the arc. I'm sure it's pretty similar, but um, it's been crazy to watch. He hit another one as a game winner yesterday. Like it's, it's, it's so wild to just look at and think about what he's doing compared to what he was doing earlier in the year, and it's not like what he was doing at the at the like in the regular season was wasn't still you know phenomenal. But what he's doing now is just it's the hottest stretch I've seen from a player who isn't an MVP caliber guy.
2: Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's definitely altered the shot profile, like you just said. There, he wasn't taking a ton of above the break threes, and he certainly wasn't having a guy come over for a pick and rising above them very often, yeah. if at all from three, let alone a deep three where he's 27 feet out. Like when I track those, he's, he's barely taken any deep threes for the year, let alone how many he's already taken in the bubble. So the fact that he's willing to let those go after, you know, early in the season, I think I mentioned this a couple podcasts ago, but I mean, Michael V Pina, when he was still riding at SB nation's flagship interviewed TJ in Brooklyn and T.J. completely bristled about, you know, why why would I step out from the elbows to three and I just play the game and take what it gives me and I'm basically reclaiming the mid-range and to have this abrupt of a change and see that he's clearly workshopped things. This was not the T.J. Warren. Whether he continues on this hot of a streak, this is not the T.J. Warren that the Pacers had prior to March 12th. Like, he's definitely doing and feeling confident doing different different stuff i mean he's even dabbling in the mid post some they're posting him up they're taking him off iverson cuts and having clear outs for him to iso like those were not ways that the pacers were using him or or necessarily felt confident using him so yeah just really glorious content out of tj warren and also i don't know how many times yesterday the pacers could have back cut the Lakers. Just yeah. so bad yeah. in the corners, So awful. I think I counted six of those. Like, they didn't all directly lead to baskets, but the person cutting would get the ball and then just lead to a dump off or whatever. Like, the attention, again, the attention to detail. I have a clip that you should look at. It's quite funny on my, on my Twitter account from this morning that was AD and LeBron, like, basically – just being like, ah, oh, well, I'm just going to punt these defensive possessions for, like, the entire first quarter. Like, just trotting back. At one point, LeBron's just standing there with his hands on his hips and, and in the paint as Oladipo waltzes down the lane for a layup. Like, I don't know. I mean, they played 35 minutes apiece, but I'm not sure how motivated they were to <laughs> to be playing when they already have the one seed locked up as bad as their shooters and stuff have been. You'd think they'd want to make a little bit more of a statement offensively, but defensively they came out extremely flat.
0: Yeah, I loved how uh, a couple times there, LeBron, when everything broke down, it was just like – he was ripping on his yes. teammates. What's I dude, You didn't do anything.
2: Yeah, that was the one. He was he was literally standing in the lane, and Anthony Davis yeah. watched it as Victor Wallace then LeBron yelled it, and I don't remember if it was I Quinn it was, Cook or who it was.
0: Yeah, I think it was Horton Tucker. Yeah, he just yeah, yeah. yeah I was laying Martin into Tucker. him, and it's like. Yeah,
1: I call it the point defense instead of the point of attack defense. It's uh, Carmelo Anthony's been a staple of it the last couple of (laughs) years. So I was talking to Sam Quinn. He writes for CBS Sports the other day. And we're like, yeah, I I wonder if he's actually pointed more to defensive assignments he was supposed to have than actually taking them. But, you know, know, (laughs) that's that's how it goes sometimes. But, uh, you know, speaking of Vic as well, um, I I wouldn't say it was the best game that he's had um, since coming back. But I do think he was making some cuts yesterday that were, you know, things that he's not been doing. He was getting downhill a little bit, still not having that burst. But uh, he played a really good all-around game, and especially as as was talked about in his postgame interview, the way that he deferred to TJ Warren at the end was was awesome, especially considering that he had it going. I think he was second, uh, second or third in score. I know Malcolm was right up there as well, but um, to see him kind of to get the ball over to TJ at the end is as, as, as well. It's something that I've worried about, you know, uh just in, in my galaxy brain head, like, oh crap, is is now that TJ's going to be scoring like this, are we gonna have an issue with how who gets the ball at the end of the game? But was not the case yesterday.
0: Yeah well I am just gonna say on Vic, yeah, he um I feel like again, yeah, he's obviously not I, I saw a lot of oh Vic's back, Vic's back. I mean, he's not back, but he that was as as comfortable as he looked with a lot of his uh, moves and getting into his jumper. I mean, the one snatchback jumper over Kuzma was that's really perfect. sweet. That's um, perfect. But again, you know, there's still those moments like you mentioned, the bursts in there. One of those baseline cuts where he got in, you know, that would have been a chin-up dunk a couple of years ago. And it was a up It was great. You know, But that, that's that little burst and explosion mm-hmm. he doesn't have. But um, I felt at least he was comfortable in the game he was playing. And that And, and, you know, he's a talent out there and can make plays still um, and and get more comfortable playing in that role. Um, It showed up yesterday, and that, you know, that is definitely a positive sign.
2: Yeah, I mean, he showed – that one against Kuzma was great. He showed really good control of his athleticism. His breaks were there. And sometimes to me, even more than his initial burst, it's that he doesn't quite – Get planted and launch off of that foot, and there, you know, he definitely showed the breaks, and that was kind of his signature move, being able to yeah. thread the ball back like that. And it was just completely fluid. There was another time where he got into the paint up against Dwight Howard and spun out of it, and and went off of one leg and hit the fader, which you know you'd like to see him draw contact, but I mean, like you say, he just he looked a lot less, um, or I guess I should say, unbothered by what was going mm-hmm. on around him, like just more in the flow. So. Yeah that was good to see. Mm-hmm. I did, I did partially have to lose my breath a little bit when it looked like he might've rolled his ankle. Oh, I know. I <laughs> and it was, was all a... good. And he got up and continued <laughs> on. So
1: yeah, that was the a turnovers
2: geez. were a little bit messy, but yeah, um, I think that, I think that'll come. He saw a couple extra bodies a few times. and didn't quite, most of them were actually dribble handling turnovers, whether he was splitting or whatever, but hopefully he can clean some of that up. But I, I did think, as you say, that that was about the most fluid he's looked mm-hmm. at least since the restart.
1: Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, kind of going I, I don't want to call it the goga game, but can <laughs> we call it the goga game? I think it was the goga game. I mean, he it, he's put up more uh huge like bigger stat lines, but I think that was the most impactful game he might have played as a pacer. I mean, he actually played some decent defense on Anthony Davis again. Uh, Anthony Davis played a uncharacteristically bad game yesterday, but I mean, he was good. He like actually played really well and just looked comfortable out there. Uh, he's I mentioned to Tom the other day and screaming over text. He set a screen and actually made contact. Like it was it was incredible.
2: Yeah, the first three-minute burst when he came in, I was like, oh, no.
1: Yeah.
2: Because they got a couple offensive rebounds. Anthony Davis had a lob, and then I think there was a turnover. I don't remember what else happened. But he only lasted three minutes, and they put Jakar in. And I was thinking in my head, you know, Miles keeps getting into foul trouble against some of these guys early on. And I kind of was like, I wonder what would happen if they just let him let him continue playing through the foul trouble and tested it because they mm-hmm. typically don't. Like, he gets pulled after two. Yeah. And based on what happened against Philly the week before, I was kind of like, you know, maybe his offensive rhythm would get helped if they just went ahead and let him in and see, you know, can he play with extra fouls? I don't know. But, you know, then they pull Goga and go with Jakar. And then when Goga came in with his later stints, it was like, yeah, you know, he had the nice block at the rim. Mm -hmm. He set a good contact screen on an off-ball stagger, made, you know, there's actual separation there. And then my favorite play that he had actually – TJ Warren was on a isolation, and it was a rare gummy one for him because most of the time he's so quick making decisions with the ball. But he, he danced with a little bit against Anthony Davis at the top of the key and then had to give it up. And immediately, Goga set a real intuitive back screen so that TJ could cut straight to the rim, and he got an easy two out of it and got to the line. And I was like, you know, that that's showing some growth and maturity-wise in terms of knowing where – to help his teammates be able to get open. He wasn't super aware of of spacing earlier in the year, and and that was a nice moment for him. So it's good to see that, too, be able to be on the one national TV game that the Pacers had for him to step in (laughs) in 20 minutes because I think they'd ultimately be probably better off. I'm assuming Sabonis isn't going to be playing at all in this. Maybe that's the wrong assumption, but that's what I'm going to guess, that if they can have a backup center, play some of those minutes and at least be a big body, take up some space, for around the rim and maybe do a little bit of stuff with passing or better screen setting than what they've had with Jakar or TJ Leaf and I, I think that would be big for him.
0: Yeah, I don't know if you were, I, the second half I was listening to the TNT broadcast and Stan Van Gundy was just raving about Bataze, um, which is funny, but uh, he, he's a guy, you know, obviously the more minutes he's going to be more comfortable, but kind of talking about Vic being a little more in rhythm, it seemed like but todd got comfortable out there a little bit more. Um, probably helps him make a shot and, you know, make a play. And and I think that really does – once he does some positive things, it lifts his whole game up because I feel like sometimes when he first gets out there, he's just like, okay, I, I can't screw up. You know, yeah. you kind of play with that mindset. And then once he makes a play or two, it's like, okay, I just got to play. And, and that – get he gets going a little bit better and is a little more active because – I mean, he is, you know, he can be a, a presence out there with his size and, and athletic, you know, movement for that size. You know, he can, he can make an impact if he's, you know, not just trying to think through every little move. And, and I think that's where he got going there um, <laughs> against the, the Lakers. And it was just funny because Ben Kennedy was, was raving about him and they had a little letdown. He came in, he's like, oh, yeah, you got to – if you're having a problem – to yeah, bring in Bataze. So <laughs> it was uh, it was good to see him at least have a you know a positive impact in there in the, in the second half.
2: Right, because I mean it was an overall kind of, of rough game for Miles after the initial foul trouble again. So you yeah. get a little bit of production there and have I mean Goga hit a three 2 So and he wasn't he didn't think too long about letting either one of the two that he took go. He just put I it know. up there. So yeah,
0: that's that's beautiful. quick release. Yeah, I mean, you think about, again, I mentioned the rebounding issues and the turnovers, and then, you know, Justin Holliday, Doug McDermott, Miles Turner having just, you know, poor shooting nights from the three, and, and again, finding a way to win. Is, whew, well, yeah,
2: it's incredible. I mean, they you look at that box score, and you're just like, how do they win this game? they took did- 16 fewer shots. They got killed on the offensive glass, and they had 20 turnovers, yeah. and yet they end up winning. Because you just look at it, and I keep making this statement, but they're just making all of the shots. Like yeah. they, as a team, out of 50, 40, 90 effort. Like, yeah. and you know, like I said, the Lakers' defense wasn't super good, but still, I mean, that's just incredible shot making. Yeah. Especially Absolutely. when your two sharpest shooters are really going through it here. Oh, I <laughs> know. In the bubble. I mean,
1: they're just waiting for the playoffs to turn it on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's actually kind of the one thing I want to talk about before we talk about Miami a little bit. Uh, I'm wondering what we're thinking about the bench because I think they looked. I mean, the numbers still weren't great on the lineups yesterday, but they switched over to having Malcolm run uh, run the bench, and they ha- actually had a lineup with Malcolm and TJ Warren both out there, uh, and that that lineup fared better. I believe they were a positive, but the one with just Malcolm in the bench was not a positive, um, just by plus minus. Which obviously single game plus minus can be you know not a great indicator, but um, Just in general, the bench is still looking pretty disjointed.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I had that little blurb in the thing that I wrote. Like, if you do a quick eye test and compare and contrast, just the normal floppy stuff they run or whatever, they're going to have to make little tweaks because when you lose Sabonis, Sabonis is so good at at twisting with a DHO and being able to hand off in a fluid motion and then go directly into a re-screen and clear somebody for a shot. And they just don't have that with Jakar or Goga to this point. So like when, when Doug's coming up off the top of the key or whenever they're running the, the single double, they're not being able to use the exact same footwork to get to the shot that they normally take. So they're not getting the exact same shots. I mean, some of it is shooters are just going to go through a slump on occasion. And obviously Doug missed a game with a, a knee issue. So who knows how much that's impacting him or whether it is or not, or how long that's been bothering him. But there are also – I saw a chart today that showed offenses in the bubble and, and whether things were up or down. And I looked at these, some of these numbers the other day with regards to their drives and stuff. But the Pacers are getting fewer corner threes than they were during the regular season. And some of that, too, might be a product of, you know, they'd be able to use some of those screening actions with the swirling off-ball movement but also run high pick-and-roll with TJ McConnell. And when teams would squeeze in on Sabonis, he would hit the corner – And I'm not sure if they're getting quite as much of that. I mean, they're not – I mean, and some of it's like I said, you're just going to have to hope that Doug and Justin can play through it. But Justin's also spending a lot of time with the amount of switching they're doing, you know, against the Suns. He was wrestling with Sarich an awful lot. So, you don't know if that's taking something out of his legs. Like, obviously, he's defended fours a lot this year, but he's doing it more because they're doing more switching against bigger defenders, and he's really having to battle in there. So Mm – Hopefully he can get some of that back in his legs, but yeah, I mean, I think the Brogdon tweak's a good one, and I think looking at hybrid lineups a little bit more. I mean, rotations will shorten in the playoffs naturally, anyways, yeah. and seeing what pl- what, what you know, yeah. where they can plug in. That's why I didn't mind too much that that Nate experimented a little bit with that bench line, with the Suns because you got to see what works and what doesn't. And, you might and, be the
1: only person that <laughs> was
2: well, No, I mean, that. from the Victor standpoint, I got it because mm-hmm. Victor's trying to regain some rhythm. And with TJ going off the way that he is, that was going to be an opportunity to potentially feed Vic the ball. And with the Jakar-Goga uh, minutes, I don't think that's a great solution. I've ripped the double-plotter scenario for quite a few years, but <laughs> the Suns were playing bigger, and if they had made some tweaks and slipped some of those actions, it, mm-hmm. it, it theoretically could have worked. Like, I could see the thought process behind <laughs> it. It's probably not something I would have regularly done, and I probably wouldn't have let it run for a 21 nothing run, but – I mean, they got to know what what lineups are going to work because they just took out a big chunk of their offense with Sabonis and, and Doug's DHO chemistry. Like, that isn't going to be there anymore. So, they, they, they got to know what combinations work.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, I was I was mostly just joking. I think the amount of blowback that there was for that was surprising to me. Like, I, I didn't – obviously, it did not work, and it let up a massive run. But uh, I think Vic was struggling to get going himself a little bit, and uh, it made sense to give him that that run with the bench. But – Sometimes things just don't work out and you got you got to make sure that things don't work out before you uh let them go so that you don't go back to them again when it matters more. So I, I totally agree. Um one thing I do want to talk about really quick uh just before we we go on to Miami. One last thing. Uh can we just talk about for a second how this team is not better with without Damon Sabonis because I I've seen all these people saying that. Like it's not to just like be generalistic, but it's been enough where I think it's uh Domonis bonus is a really, really damn good player, and he does a ton for this team. And while things have maybe been a little bit more open up on offense, I don't think that's necessarily just a product of having him out. I think you also include the fact that teams are used to preparing for the Pacers with Domas, so it's a totally different look for them. Uh, it's just a completely different experimental data point, you know, uh, for each team that plays them. Uh, Sabonis is really good. and We see it – I actually think we see it almost more on the defensive end uh with all the putbacks and offensive rebounds. Uh aka the long possession yesterday that I mentioned to you earlier, Caitlin, that was uh that was painful. Um but yeah, that's the, just just to just to put that out there really quick.
2: Well yeah, I mean they're 21st in offensive rebounding rate. They the bench has struggled. I mean these are simple kind of eye test things where you can see where where they're missing him. In addition to the fact that you know Everything in the bubble is a little bit different. And like you said, the Pacers, kind of like the Spurs, I think, benefit to a certain degree because teams have literally no data points on what they are at this point. They came in as a relative unknown. So scheming around what they're doing isn't quite as easy, let alone the fact that T.J. Warren has completely exploded. So um, just like yesterday, I looked up on Synergy, but, I mean, you could tell this, that the, the Lakers did not trap or commit to T.J. Warren a single time. Like, there were seven times where they came and sent two defenders to Malcolm Brogdon, which were not good traps, but they did it anyways. And yet they didn't do this for the guy that's averaging 35-plus <laughs> points. Like, I don't think that's necessarily something that they shouldn't expect to see in a playoff situation or at least see people playing a little bit higher or not ducking under screens as much as they have been. And that doesn't take anything away from TJ. It's just going to be an exaggerated game plan, and we <laughs> do that. Whether Whichever guard it is that's going to be seeing more defensive attention out on the perimeter, potentially to be blitzing ball handlers now that they have a more ball handler-driven offense. Sabonis is great at slipping into space and lubricating and making plays in four-on-three situations. I trust him to do that. Or if they got denied on one side, I would wholeheartedly trust him to be able to run a DHO and get it to the other side of the floor. And a lot of that has been painful with the bigs that they have available to him now. And the other thing I would say on the Sabonis front is – A lot of people want to be like, oh, they're just playing with so much more spacing now. And I agree, there are benefits to not having two bigs on the floor. But it's not as if TJ Warren isn't scoring when Miles isn't out there. I mean, he Mm -hmm. had 43 points against the Sixers when Jakar and and TJ Leaf played 28 minutes at center. They're not spreading out to three. Like that's not a thing that's happened. They're plunking those two guys in the dunker spot for the majority of those minutes. TJ scored 22 points yesterday with Goga and Jakar running center. And again, they weren't spreading Jakar out to three. So while they can do a couple different things with TJ when Sabonis isn't there, I imagine that they probably wouldn't be posting TJ if Sabonis was available. Um, A lot of the stuff that TJ is doing, you can plug Sabonis right into and it would be, you know, great. Sabonis has great screening technique. If you want to run four or five pick and roll, I don't know why that can't work with Sabonis. I don't know why if you're running an off-ball curl or an Iverson cut for TJ Warren, that's going to be great with Sabonis. He can slip that and make a play. Like I, I don't know. I think sometimes it can just be, I mean, the same situation happened earlier in the year when they won some games when, when Miles was out or whatever it is. I mean, I, I can see my way through to why they would be better with only playing one center, but I'm not going to say all based on five bubble games where teams had varying degrees to compete, you know, some are out of the playoffs. Some I've already clinched seating that, you know, yeah, they're better without an all-star and their sixth man. Like I just generally don't think that that happens.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it's a little easier to survive without Sabonis when, you know, you make 52% of your field goals and 45% of your threes. Um, And I I think his absence did show up in that, uh, in the Phoenix game. Um, you know, and I don't know, the Lakers played in once their second of that Phoenix game <laughs> for defense. But uh regardless, you know, when the Pacers somehow got back and got the lead, um, I was thinking during that that time it was like, man, that you know, you could really miss some bonus here because that game had gotten to a point where it was kind of grimy and tough, and that's where you like to have some bonus in there. Uh, you know either throwing screens or making plays and, and doing stuff that they need to do when when everything else isn't coming so easy and that and that's really where they miss them because and, the, and you know and when you get talk about playoff basketball, you know things are gonna change a little bit. I would assume I don't know, the bubble's been insane offensively. I'm assuming it, it's gonna get a little a little uh, grimier. Uh, once we get into the postseason and those are the times where you're going to miss Sabonis and all he can do, um, whether it's positioning or working with the ball or, or just being uh, a strong guy in, in that middle, getting things going offensively and, and finding a way to to uh, get some buckets when they aren't, you know, making everything.
1: Yeah, certainly. Um, so, you know, speaking in terms of playoff basketball. That's uh, driving me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we're getting close to it and we, we have a potential preview of where we're at uh, a huge matchup tomorrow against the heat um, currently tied in the standings, 43 and 27 for both teams and whoever wins this game and uh, obviously you have to win long on Friday as well, but that's a ways from now. Um, but this has massive implications for getting seating that I guess doesn't really matter, but you know, at the same time, um, It'll be it, – this, this is a really interesting game, and it could provide for uh, maybe one of the more intense rivalry atmospheres we've had in basketball. You have guys who are staying in the same hotel, I believe. Yeah, they're in the same hotel as the Heat, correct?
2: Yeah. No, the yeah, Heat's so, at the grandest. Oh, they're,
1: oh, my bad. Well, guys who are within a mile of each other mm-hmm. yeah. um, that will see each other potentially could be up to nine times in, like, three weeks. So – this this has potential to be pretty pretty darn awesome, especially considering the first three games.
0: Really, they're only one small Instagram post apart. So, I mean, that's <laughs> all it is, really.
2: <laughs> no, I, yeah, I mean, I think I'm going to be really interested to see how both teams approach it because I think both teams are obviously going to want to win it. I mean, the fact that Jimmy is going to play after sitting out the fire the. Prior three games with the sore foot, and they said that the Heat practiced today. I know the Pacers didn't practice today. That tells me that they want to work him back into the lineup and, and make some adjustments with perhaps Kendrick with Kendrick Nunn being in quarantine right now and what they're going to do with their starting lineup and, and whatnot. But I'll be interested to see how far both teams, like how weird do they each get? Are they willing mm-hmm. to show various wrinkles when they know that that could potentially loom as a playoff series or do they play it more straight up clearly playing it hard, but going with what the other opponent would more naturally expect. Like you said earlier, maybe that's a little bit galaxy brain, but I I don't (laughs) necessarily think it is because like, for instance, you know, sometimes there's occasions where the heat will throw, you know, bam at at Russell Westbrook and that's his matchup. Yeah. Yeah. Is that something that they would be willing to do in a Monday seeding game? I don't really know, but would they throw it out there in a playoff series as a potential change up? Probably like they might look at that just to create a ton of cross matches. They're the number one transition team in the NBA. Try to lock up somebody at the point of attack, even though the Pacers are running, you know, a three guard lineup, you know, they might look at that in that scenario. So I'm just going to kind of keep an eye out for some of the weird stuff along with, you know, obviously the, the TJ Jimmy rivalry, but, there's just a lot of different ways that the teams could line up defensively, on you know who pairs with who that that I think will be um, worth keeping an eye on.
1: Yeah, I'm really you. You posted something on Twitter earlier about the potential defensive matchups, and I'm really interested to see uh, how this team tries to defend Duncan Robinson because he killed the Pacers on the de- on uh, on defense in the first couple matchups and. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who they use to try and chase him if they do switch because this team really just does not switch a lot. Um, and when I talked to Nate McMullen a couple weeks ago about switching, he was pretty adamant about not switching. So it's well, funny
2: because they've done a lot of switching in these seeding games. Yeah. Like, if he doesn't want them to, then I'm surprised at the level of it that they're doing because yeah. they've done quite a bit. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know that there's necessarily a surefire answer off on Duncan. I mean, the Raptors had – a bit of success limiting his shots by switching out to him. Um, you'd have to rely on on Miles in that scenario because obviously Miles is going to be the person guarding Bam. You don't have another person to do that. And Bam's been, you know, flat-out dominant in those two yeah. games. He's shooting 76% from the field. So I think they really are going to have to jam in on that and be able to help. And that's where I think Victor comes best into play because Victor's best strength isn't lock and trail defense. It's, it's his ability to roam the entire floor. And that's why mm. I brought up Crowder because he's going to be – you know the the weakest shooter that isn't also their number you know number one one-on-one threat where right now I think TJ Warren's your best one-on-one defender until Vic's completely back to being himself so I think you want to leave TJ there but the Heat could obviously do a lot of mixing and matching and I don't know I'm interested to see how much they actually show Jimmy at at um TJ, given that his, his foot's been giving him a little problems and what some of the weaknesses are with, you know, Duncan's main strength as a defender, not to be rude, but his main distract strength as a defender is, is just his length. Like that's basically yeah, what you're not, gaining. He's there.
1: not a so, super high level athlete. So his defense is pretty, right, pretty tough.
2: Right. And, 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 and you know, the heat I've said this before, but they haven't run a single possession of two, three against the Pacers yet. So is that something they're going to be willing to throw out there? Are they going to hold that one back too? Yeah. um, all just all little tiny nuggets that are going to give us a lot better insight into the functioning of a matchup, given how much the Pacers have changed. And you know the Heat aren't the Heat aren't starting Myers Leonard anymore either, so they've changed too. They have new people. They didn't have Iguodala and, and Jay Crowder, obviously the the last time the two teams played. So,
0: yeah, they're a lot more versatile now, and it seems like they've been just gunning from three in the games they've won um and, right I mean, that's where
2: they're gonna win or lose
0: yeah it's you know it's a make or miss league they're definitely a make or miss team at this point right now um so getting them into a game where you know maybe they have to grind a little bit uh would be the first step for the pacers to you know ho- hopefully they're just not hitting everything they throw up um, and we've got a you yeah, have some possessions where the clock's running and, and it's, man, oh, man, let's go. Man, <laughs> I oh, man, agree.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, uh, a, I mean, well, I'm, of course, excited for TJ and Jimmy. I still, yeah, I agree with you, though, Kayla. I don't know if they're really going to flash too much of Jimmy on TJ on Monday. Um, but that'll be, I mean, that's something I'm definitely hoping to see because, I mean, they really don't have any, they could try and put Iguodala on him, but he's obviously been a step or two slower this year. He's still been yeah. solid, but he's not the same guy. Um, and I think he'd be a little bit, it's asking a lot to have him guard TJ Warren for stretches, but they have a lot of guys who they can mix and match throughout the, the course of a series. But, uh, it's, it's interesting too. I think Stan Van Gundy talked about it. It might've been on a, on, it was either Stan or Jeff talked about it on a low post podcast, but, uh, as my dog starts to whine, uh, he doesn't like <laughs> Miami, I guess. But, um, yeah, I mean, they talked about them every time that they do mix and match a little bit, they do have some weakness. Cause if you have Derek Jones Jr. out there for, uh, for zone, their shooting is going to go away because right. he's not a credible floor spacer right now. Um, and that, to some extent, that's the same with Jay Crowder. I mean, I would be so – if he's going to play big minutes, which I assume he will because he's been starting, I mean, I'm very willing to let him stay open from three. Uh, he has not shot above 31% from a playoff series in uh, since Boston. So, I – I'm willing to take our chances with that one.
2: Right. I mean, they don't have a lot of duality. They have, they have shooters and they have defenders, but they don't have a lot of defenders who can shoot or shooters who can defend. So when they're mixing and matching out there, you got to take, you got to be willing to take extra steps off of the people that you can deem as, as the least threatening as shooters to be able to jam up the paint and be able to really stick on, on Robinson and whoever it's going to be. So that's the main thing. And in the last game, um, you could tell that the Heat had made a few adjustments and the Pacers had not. Because in game one, McDermott made like four or five of those threes where he springs off a wide pin and comes up, or a flat away screen, I guess I should say, off of Sabonis or Miles and makes a, screen, a shot going left or right. And when they came into Indy, the Heat played that a lot higher and made it more difficult for him to be able to get that shot off without having to put the ball on the floor. And then at the other end, you know They were gunning from three, and the Pacers were kind of running their typical um, stagger-twirl action. And you could tell that the Heat had paid attention to that one, too, because it was Justice Winslow, but who isn't there anymore. But he was getting his hand caught in there, and they were predicting where the Pacers were going to go with that. So I would like to see him, by the time, if this ends up being a playoff series, just being able to run a couple more tweaks out of that so it isn't quite as predictable if the Heat – go with switching, which they're, they're, they switch pretty much everything out on the perimeter so that you could catch them off guard, you know, whether if it's the first screener flipping around or the second screener being able to flip around instead of just always the guy, the first one curling around and then the other one flying off the second screen. Like that's pretty much their formula and, and the heat were able to drill down on that one. So I mentioned this in the little five piece, but an Easter egg people can watch for the heat love to run an action that looks like pistol. That's a face cut with Jimmy and they caught the Pacers with that for oh, like three times. So corner. if you're, if, if the listeners are watching for that, <laughs> <laughs> make sure that you stay, they have to stay really cognizant <laughs> off ball. Cause they run another back screen one with Gorin where it's really easy to get caught. If you're on the weak side thinking that they're running one thing and then it turns into another one. So that's that's two specific actions you can watch for as as special easter eggs during your viewing pleasure on monday
1: yeah i'm really hoping that tj is a little bit more prepared for that one this time i think it was jimmy caught him with it like three times across two games and it was uh pretty much once he gets to step he's gone uh but actually oh yeah, yeah sorry yeah cuz they
2: hide it with they hide it with horns up at the top and then they drag miles out of the action because that the uh, the opposite forward clears out, and then it looks like it's pistol. So part of the reason why it looks like TJ is getting caught is because he's expecting that he's going to have to go over a handoff. Mm-hmm. As soon as he leans forward, then Jimmy cuts up in front on the face cut and goes straight to the rim. So there's a lot of teams running that. Phoenix run it. Phoenix runs it. I think I saw Toronto run it the other day. A lot of face cutting going on in the bubble.
1: Yeah, it's uh, actually so another one of my favorite ones that has been running another little nerd thing. We didn't see it against Orlando, at least not that I remember. But normally it's when Terrence Ross is in, they'll overload this, this one side. It's normally the right side of the floor. Aaron Gordon will go into the post on the weak side, high post on the weak side. Terrence Ross is in like a almost like a sprinter stance in the corner, and he face cuts like directly in front of the, the man in the corner for just a wide-open pass, and it's normally a dunk, because Terrence Ross has crazy bounce. But, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's funny, like, picking up on those little things. But um, in terms of looking at the Heat, I'm excited. I think we have a lot to look forward to. Um, well, uh, the
2: seeding can still move. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, the yeah. Sixers are still only a half game back. The Pacers and the Heat are tied at this point. Like, there still can be some movement in the bubble. I don't, I don't normally – Put my full faith and trust in the Philadelphia 76ers. but hey, you know anything can happen.
1: <laughs> anything can happen. Oh, definitely. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, yeah. So, not I wasn't. I didn't mean to predict the playoff series. I'm hoping it's what happens, but we'll see. Um, do you guys have any closing thoughts before we before we get out of here and get ready to get some sleep? Sounds like all of us are pretty tired. Well, I, I'll
0: just say I'm just sad loving the bubble now, and I feel like we're kind of into the "quote unquote" dog days of the bubble since I've been there so long. People are getting agitated but the games are still so much fun to watch overall. I don't know where all this offense is coming but I'm not complaining right now but now I feel like we're ramping it up with these games against the Heat this week and then it'll be playoff time and it's like god this is this is fantastic.
1: So yeah, all right, so I do have a quick thing. My theory is that the <laughs> defensive communication is just off. I mean, I know it's I mean, these guys are like it's with how much time that they've been together now it's been like playing what like 12 15 games maybe not even 15 probably like the first like 12 games of a regular season so that's where i, I mean i think it's just a lot of a lot of teams are trying to get back into that but some I of it's don't know. the
2: bubble. Some of it's the bubble whistle crisis, which hasn't impacted mm-hmm. the Pacers because they're still
1: still terribly. They're easy. still yeah, yeah that's in true. the yeah. East.
2: They're still dead last in free throw attempt rate, but they're also number one in, in foul rate. Like it basically hasn't touched them. But a lot of other teams, the free throw rate is way up, so that's yeah. obviously going to push the offense up. But I mean, yeah, by the eye test, like I said, you can look last night against the Lakers and be like, yeah, that's some. Um, completely non-defense there on some of those possessions, <laughs> like a lot of yeah. standing, which, I mean, in that case, I don't know that it's necessarily completely different from the end of a regular season. Cause I mean, if the Lakers had, if, if they weren't in the bubble and the Lakers had locked up the number one seed, you know, either
1: LeBron and AD probably, they, they may not even played, be playing
2: yeah. and, and you don't know what types of motions they go through. I did see that uh, there was a sports expert. I think this was in the athletic Boston, had given a recommendation that that players shouldn't be taking, like I forget how many days that it would be risky to take X amount of days off in a row. So that's why some of these players are continuing to play in games that maybe if it was a regular season, they might be, you know, sitting out for DNP rest, but instead, Mm -hmm. you know, more guys are are playing at least in the first half or are still getting out there because they think it's better to keep getting reps headed into a playoffs, given what the ramp up has been. So I thought that was kind of interesting that, you know, some guys might be out there going through the motions simply to be able to stay in condition and and keep their bodies going. And not that that didn't go on for the entire Laker game. Eventually, eventually LeBron and Anthony Davis flipped, flipped their energy switches a little bit, but in the beginning, it was definitely flat.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's just so much that is, uh, that is unprecedented with the bubble and looking at how everything's different. Like, I think it's weird. Cause I mean, you look at it something like the lockout seasons and you're like, okay, well you can point to one or two things that are, are really different, but eventually it kind of uh, comes back down to earth. But looking at this, I mean, there's just every day is kind of a new little day and you have no idea what to, to really expect. And with everything that happens, there's, there's so many wrinkles to it. Um, it's just uh Pretty crazy times, but but awesome times at the same. I mean, I think this is some of the best basketball regular season wise that I've I've ever watched. Um, Tom, maybe you have more of a perspective on that. But
0: yeah, because I've been around so long. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I had to. Sorry, uh, yeah. but <laughs> to everyone back home, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we always appreciate it. Please be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Check us out on Spotify. And read us over at Indy Cornrows. Uh, Definitely read Caitlin's latest piece that just came out. I should have one dropping soon as well. Um, And, yeah, just keep following us on Twitter, doing, doing what you do, and enjoy the Pacers. Have a good rest of your day.